Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Today on Tripping Over the Barrel, we've got the whole damn fan. This is the first time that we have three guests coming on. Timmy? That's fantastic. I, I, we're, I'm curious how many people we can get on at one time here. This would be a, this would be an interesting logistical uh, thing we do here. And we've got our, our second repeat. You yeah, know, almost, we, get, what, we Lindsay got Lindsay on twice in a row. Yeah, we got Lindsay Mersman from EAG on. She had so much fun the last time. She wanted to come back again. And then she brought some friends. She brought Scott and Brooke, who are both in land. Brooke is with, make sure I'm saying this right, Acacia. 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 Acacia, like Acacia forgot. We're still here doing our 11,000 barrels a day. That's right. Like the Acacia tree. Yes, Acacia. That's, that's what comes up when I when I Googled it. So, um, Lindsay, why, why don't you, you kick us off on the uh, EAG and uh, Acacia side? Sure. So, um, Scott Hackles, the VP of land for EAG Bund Source, and Brooke is our client. Um, Brooke and Scott, they can tell their story better than me. They've known each other for a long time, but um, we all work together providing outsourcing services to Acacia. Um, and we all like to have a good time. So that's why we're on the podcast. So this is another first. We have the the vendor and the client for the first time on the same call. This would be kind of interesting. I, I really like these firsts that I keep having with you guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What can you have, I guess? Some so what might you, you guys are in the same room and this is this is covid times why are you guys all in the same room here much <laughs> and the trust factor is huge and there's beer huge there you go happy hour yep no, that's that's awesome um First of all, I know you guys are supposed to get to a happy hour. This is this is really interesting for me. See, I'm up here in Colorado, and at least where I live, it's like everything's shut down. They're forcing us to be outside, buy space heaters or not space heaters to drink my beer. My hand like freezes off as I'm drinking, but you guys are just having a grand old time down in H-Town, though. We are. You know, Texas and Oklahoma, it's a little bit different than Denver right now. <laughs> for sure. With their COVID rules. That's right. But, doesn't uh, doesn't sound terrible to me, but yeah, I mean, it's it's spiking and things are nuts. I, for one, am looking forward to 2020 being over. In fact, the, the term that I like to use is 2020 is the turd sandwich and we all have to take a bite. So I guess we've got a few more weeks where we've got a bite off of it. I'm still chewing. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck with digesting it, right? So uh, tell me a little bit more on the, the land side, Brooke. How did you get into the world of, of uh, land man, land woman? Land man? Land um, people ask a lot of female land men that question, and I think 100% of us will always correct you politely and say land man. Um, okay. I, I much prefer that term over the PC ones. Um, how I got into it was uh, randomly and by necessity. I took a really long time to get out of college because I was having a lot of fun and um, I had no idea by the time I got out of Oklahoma State what I wanted to do for a living. So 
I got this amazing job offer with yellowbook.com that promised I could make $100,000 a year my first year. And I thought, wow, that sounds like good money. So I did it. And I couldn't. That's good money. Yeah, I couldn't pay my rent. I couldn't pay my car payment. It was so bad. And um, my parents were both in the oil and gas industry in Tulsa um, in the early 80s before the bus. And so they had, you know, lots of connections and I refused to use them. Um, And finally, I got to a humbling point where I thought I would make a phone call and I called an old family friend and just was, you know, Good, good timing, God's timing. Uh, a position had opened the very same day that I had called him at a St. Mary Land and Exploration Company in Tulsa. And so I started out as an administrative assistant in 2007 in land, not knowing at all what it was and watching uh, the land man I worked for, um, you know, just kick ass and take names all day, every day. And I wanted to do what he did. And so here we are 15 years later. You mean SM energy? Is that what you're talking about? Energy. That's right. That's the one. So what is the day to day for a landman? What does a landman do? What is what? Okay. You said the landman kicked ass day day to day. All right. Mm -hmm. How does a landman actually kick ass? That's what I want to know. Well, so his ass kicking was back in 2007, 2008, when natural gas prices were what, 12 or $13 so, in So we were running quite a few rigs in Southeastern Oklahoma and drilling quite a few wells. And he was doing it all by himself. He was managing outside vendors. Um, he was managing internal records and getting all the wells drilled, doing deals, like um, just, just busy, busy, busy. And any landman's day, they, they never look the same. I mean, you're you're dealing with regulatory bodies for the state that you're drilling a well in. You're dealing with attorneys. You're dealing with vendors. Um, typical vendors for a landman are, we call them land brokers, and they go to the courthouse for us. They help us buy our leases and you know, in-house, we negotiate joint venture agreements with competitors um, to kind of pool our resources and get wells drilled and share in the expensive capital and the project. And it's the whole business paperwork negotiation. Should I even say creative? Creative side, too. It's, it's the business component to the science component that everyone else does is what land that's, are supposed that's a, to <laughs> <laughs> something else and, and Scott, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your profile here too. It looks like you're either in law school or you finished law school. That, chime in on that in a second, but that's something we tend to see. I noticed when I first got in the space, a lot of VPs of land, people who get into land went to law school. Talk about that, Scott. Yeah, sure. So actually I don't have like a Juris doctorate, but I did attend and just graduated in May from the University of Tulsa and received my master's of jurisprudence in energy law. So think about it. You get your bachelor's, uh, attorneys go on to get their JD or doctorate level. This is kind of that master's level course. So, but it was focused in energy law. So all of my entire master's was, was related to oil and gas energy and the legal parameters around it. And, and was that a move to uh, sort of take the next step in your career? Was it uh, because you wanted to learn a little bit more? What was the impetus behind making that move? 
Well, the fun, I've always wanted to get uh, an advanced degree. My uh, my undergrad was general business pre-law, so I'd always expected to go further. But uh, then I had twin girls, and it got to the point to where, okay, I have a couple years before they turn six and start getting busy in school. So the reason why I jumped into it, got it done quickly, was uh, family matters. Yeah, I mean, Tim and I are no stranger to that. See, I would I would go to law school just to get out of the house, man. <laughs> I don't blame you. So another thing with you, Scott, so I see OSU and OU. What's what's your team? Are you a, a poke or a sooner? So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm a poke. explain that one. <laughs> yeah. So I started off going to OU. That was actually – so I started off in oil and gas accounting. And uh, – then I decided, uh, I saw OU had this energy management program, which kind of fit in, um, you know, Brooke being a landman. My mother was a landman as well, so I kind of came by it honest. I started off in accounting, <laughs> and I just, again, it, there's just something more fun about that, that, that level of work. So I uh, left that job, actually then went to OU for energy management, uh, and then decided to come back, get married, and uh, attended OSU Tulsa to, to get my bachelor's degree. But the question, I'm a poke. Go pokes. Go, Go pokes. pokes. All around. All three of us. Three okies, three pokes. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's why they're in the room together. Man, that's why we get along so well. Now we see what's going on. We'll throw Corey Scott in there next time. Um, <laughs> I was just so- on the pen right before I came over here. Really? <laughs> yes, I'm so for people listening out there, not in the industry, this is the smallest industry. These are vice presidents at various companies that we just made those connections. I mean, unbelievable. So Brooke, tell us a little bit about Acacia. You know, it doesn't seem to be a, a, you know, it's certainly not a giant company and not one that most of us would have heard of. What is, what does Acacia do and how big is it? And, you know, how do you guys get there? Sure. Um, so Acacia is, Two, two and a half years old, we um, were founded in June of 2018. So we are a new company. Um, our three partners, our three owners um, actually all started their career around about the same time as me at the same place as me. Um, we all started at St. Mary, except they started in Shreveport. And so our owners are Brandon Younger, Clayton Flurry, and Melissa Andriani. And we were all employed at Highmark Energy in 2018, and we were backed by NGP. And NGP was basically like, sell the asset or, you know, you're done, we're pulling the plug. And so we were trying very hard to find a buyer. And what um, our owners did creatively is they did find a buyer, found a backer in Kane Anderson, and we bought our own asset and we became Acacia Exploration Partners. Uh, who we are today. Same employees, and we've grown by maybe two. So we're about 14 full-time employees. Um, We operate around about 120, 130 wells. Um, We've got over 100,000 gross acres, 28,000 net acres that we manage um, very leanly. And... That's how Acacia came to be, um, and and we had a big, you know, the reason the three of us really are sitting around the table or even, you know, in the same workspace together is because of the events of 2020. Um, Kane Anderson rolled the asset um, owned by Triumph Energy Partners in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, to Acacia for management. So, uh, 
we went from managing, you know, what Acacia owned and bought from Highmark in 2018 to, you know, quadrupling, quintupling our workload and our asset size. So, uh, in a very short amount of time. As it, well. it was yeah. kind of like it overnight, was, right? It, it was March to May yeah. that we had to prep and do it. Well, yeah. That's some big growth in the in the middle of all of this that's been going on. So I guess um, to shorten the story just a little, you basically then you went to EOG to say, hey, we got to get some systems in place. What's the best set of systems we need? Is that basically how it happened? So what's weird is Scott and I actually were having conversations just you know before we knew we were getting the the Triumph asset to contract manage. Um, Scott and I were already having conversations because I just knew that it was time for Acacia to take a step forward land-wise in the right direction and get a land system and just really step into the current century and, and spend a little bit of time and, and money on being more efficient and more current um, than we had been managing. Um, because at some point we were gonna grow and there was gonna be a need for all of these you know, new tools and systems. And so Scott and I had already begun that conversation um, because I didn't really know what the hell he was doing. Like you left Corterra and you go to where and you do what? So tell me about these things. And he and I start that conversation and it, it couldn't have even been two weeks later that we were told um, you got a short fuse to take the Triumph assets over move. So our conversation, my conversation with Scott looped Lindsay in real fast and um, my boss and I and EAG, we, we shook hands and we became friends real fast. So how long does the process take to go from, hey, we, we're going to need a system and you engage EAG and say, all right, how do you evaluate what's the best system? How long did it take to find the systems you need to put in place? So in this scenario, it's a little different because we actually are providing the outsourcing services and the system through our partnership with W Energy. So we didn't go and do a traditional heads up selection. We said, hey, Brooke, this is the way that EAG is efficient and manages our land division order and accounting processes. Um, this is the tool we're going to use. Here's the reports we've developed and we can get you live within 60 days. And so it was a little different conversation, right? We we're building a partnership and a relationship Yes, technology at the foundation, but really around Brooke understanding who our team is, what skill sets we have, and us getting a better understanding for what she and Clayton were expecting out of stepping into the new age, getting outside assistance, and having a land system. Um, a lot of it was around reporting, right? 2020 has been a, a turd sandwich of a year, right? Yeah. As you said, Jeremy. Um, and, you know, we're all taking a bite. Yeah. <laughs> But they yeah. needed some different level of insight into their data or in, into their asset so that they can make some decisions. And so that's really where the partnership, I think, started was helping you guys envision what you'd be able to do once we got it all up and running. Yeah. And also teaching me that outsourcing is not truly a curse word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, yeah. We'll dive into that in a minute. But you said a couple of things, Brooke, when you were giving a little bit of background on Acacia. Uh, one, you mentioned the Ratchet City, Shreveport. You also mentioned um, Kane Kane Anderson. Was Chuck Yates the guy who did that deal? Was that Chuck? Chuck Yates was on our board. Yes, he was. Man, he's a, he's a friend of the show. To the podcast, Tim. He's a friend of the show. Quite honestly, we're the ones that launched his podcast career. I don't know if people know that, but ah, oh, I didn't know that, but now I do. Thank you. 
yeah, he, he called me earlier today to be like, yeah, you know, I'm getting about 3000 downloads show. I'm like, nice Chuck. You're also spending thousands of dollars to market it. So you've got that advantage. We don't have. <laughs> but anyways, um, no, it's, it's, it's just amazing how it all sort of ties back. A question that I have for, for you, Brooke, and I guess Scott, to an extent also, you guys have been on the operator side for, for a large majority of your career. So, so we typically ask the salespeople that come on, what are some of the worst demos and presentations and dumbest things that you've done in these meetings? What about sitting on the other side of the table? What are some of the things that you guys have seen where you're just like, oh, this guy's just given such a bad presentation? Any stories stand out to uh, the people sitting on the land side trying to get sold to? You want to go first? I mean, I try and give most people the benefit of the doubt, whether they struggle or not through a demo. But, you know, I did sit through one and it wasn't just me, my friend Jack. Uh, Derby and multiple, there were at least six companies on this call and it was like a remote sales pitch. Um, and it was for supposedly like AI or, or just uh, to this day. And I'm sure Scott understands what this company does, but I have no freaking clue. Um, it, but it was for Gerber and, uh, I just, I had to politely like bow out. Like I, I have no idea how this even remotely compares to at the time I was comparing thought trace to what are my alternatives sure. to thought trace? What are their competitors? Because I really want them, but I have to look at the others and the grouper thing just kind of, uh, so what was bad about it? I couldn't even tell what they do. Yeah, no, I mean, so the, the, the grouper guys I actually really like them. They're in Tulsa, W Energy's in Tulsa. So it makes some sense that we'd align. We also align with Thought Trace. But my issue with them is if you drop one of the O's in their name, they're groper. <laughs> you just don't want to be called, you don't want anybody to mistake you for being a groper. Like that's sort of my take on it. But there's people in the industry that uh, have that reputation. So if I was them, I wouldn't want to be there. I mean, making a company is a very difficult task. So when when St. Mary changed their name to SM Energy, um, our CEO at the time, <laughs> during our traveling road shows and quarterly meetings, he would slip up because he wasn't quite used to it and <laughs> calling it S&M Energy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I love that. I thought that right away. I love that. outside of the company would also call it S&M Energy. I, I remember we, sending you a text whenever they yeah. changed the name. Oh, God. Did they not think about this? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, but so that's kind of why, you know, St. Mary people will say Sminergy rather than, <laughs> so it's a little more clear than S&M. <laughs> There's been a few companies that have changed names. I don't know that I want to name it, but there's one that changed names a couple of years ago. And I thought they, they must have spent absolutely no research on the name change. They went from, well, I'm just going to say it because it's interesting. The just Wood Group. The wood group to wood. And I thought, oh, <laughs> nobody really thought that through. Now, did they? Wood. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting weird today on our uh, SM and wood podcast here, but. Uh, named around female body part, <laughs> essentially. Inventive. <laughs> 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 Sorry, not sorry. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's go but now, Scott. Do you have your uh, worst presentation you sat through from a uh, from some yokels like uh, Jeremy and I? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so actually, uh, the thing is, I actually still ended up buying the product. Um, it was a lens. It was a you know just a basic land system, and the sales presentation just sucked. And because it it was one of those of well, what would you like to see? So you know, when I expect if I want you, if you're going to sell me a product, come in and wow me with what it can do. This one was just like, well, what would you like to see? And it's kind of like, I shouldn't have to tell you how like, to present a do. product to me. Yeah. Show me what's cool about your product. But again, the product still spoke for itself and I actually still bought it. Uh, but it was just the, the sales needed support. Man, that's so such that, a dream. There's that moment where you guys stare at each other. What are we going to talk about? Yeah. Well, it, it's just kind of like you sit there and you go, well, I would like to see this. And then they show that one little piece instead of going, okay, how do you work lease records? And then they show you how you set up agreements and tracks and subtracts and here's your obligations and that kind of, you know, show me the process, not, okay, well, here's the leases. Here's where you set those up. Yeah. Okay. Then how do you do that? And it's like, okay, do I have to do an agenda for you? I think you should override one for me. Yeah. See, this is where Peter Coham would be good to come in and do discovery right here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, we need a dick that named the vendor. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of you, Scott. So, Brooke, I'm I'm curious with um, Acacia. Like, what's the what's the strategy? Is this a company that will continue to acquire assets? Will you guys eventually go public? Do you think you'll sell to somebody else? Like, I'm just curious for a smaller operator in in today's climate. What does the um, longer or shorter term strategy look like for you? Um, our short-term strategy is uh, continue to thrive through 2020, eating the giant shit sandwich that we have all been fed and continue to thrive, not strive, thrive. There's a big difference. And we have come through 2020 very, very well, in our opinion, internally. And um, the short-term goal is to acquire, acquire things that make sense, whether it's accretive to our existing position or it's in a different basin, you know, Arclitex or Permian, uh, you know, I think we're very open-minded into let's, let's just look at everything. Let's buy what makes sense for us. Let's buy, let's buy the right thing, but that's short-term. What are we going to buy? Long-term is we want to be here to stay. We are here to stay. And long-term is growth. Um, I don't think long-term and I'm speaking a bit for the partners and so I don't want to step on their toes, but I don't think long-term Acacia's plans are to go public. Um, and I don't think long-term Acacia's plans are to grow into, you know, like a hundred person company. Um, we were saying the other day on a company call, we really enjoy the size of our company because we recognize every single person's voice when someone speaks. We're like, we know exactly who it is. And, our president was like, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot this year. Like, I don't want to get to that point where I walked down the hall and I don't know who someone is when I see their face. I don't want to get on a call where I don't recognize someone's voice. So we want to grow, but we want to grow within a means that we can still keep um, this this community and this, this Acacia family, as we call it, that we have established. Yeah, but that's None of us are done. Like none of us want to, you know, leave the industry 2020 considered like we're all, you know, very passionate about what we do and we're here to stay. So have you guys identified the levers that will allow you to grow like you want without too many 
headcount in too many bodies, like in the different parts of the organization, is it technology that you're going to embrace or like, what is your strategy there? So I can't speak to the other departments, you know, that's not my bag. I'm completely <laughs> for land. Um, I'll but, speak for them. Come on. They're not um, listening. Okay. Well, I definitely have opinions. She just um, hasn't had enough to drink yet. She yeah, will. I'm getting there. Uh, so what Clayton and I realized really quickly this year, whenever um, EAG, you know, walked us through the initial introductions, and then we really started doing all of our onboarding with the data, getting stuff into systems, really letting them take hold of the, uh, so they're not doing full outsourcing for me, they're doing partial. Um, so just, you know, there's certain items that they're fully responsible for. And as they continue to do that and do it well and very well, um, this whole hierarchy of stress that Clayton and I had, had hanging over our heads for the last several years, like when we grow, oh my God, we're going to have to like hire like, you know, two more landmen and like three more DO analysts and this or that full time. And we just really like our size. So for me, our answer, scalability, repeatability of what we've done this year are the two people and everyone that, you know, work with them that I'm sitting at the table with. It's EAG. One source, it's EAG services. It's both of them. Um, we've had a great year with them and it's given Clayton and I a, a breath of fresh air that, you know, no matter how quickly things are thrown at you or how big the project is, like we got through it and we didn't realize there were vendors out there like EAG. So now that we know, and this first process has gone so well, that's what the land department at Acacia has identified. Well, there aren't any. There's just EAG. There's just EAG. <laughs> There's no one else, guys. Don't even pay attention. No, but, but seriously, that's, that, that is interesting feedback, right? You're a small company. <laughs> you, got a, you got a choice. You can, you can continue to hire bodies or you can outsource and, and leverage some of the expertise that exists in the space. I, I like that. I'm curious for our land people on this call, how about the evolution in land systems? Like what did land systems look like, look like 10, 12 years ago versus what are they like today? What are some of your favorites and, and some of your least favorites on the tech side? Yeah, so that's a great question to ask these two because I think between the places they've worked and then now working with W, they've touched just about every land software out there. Ooh, you talk about what you've touched. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, actually, so like 10, 15 years ago, really, you know, I actually different companies I worked on Excalibur. Me too. And um, yeah, because that's what SNM was on too, right? C S N it's SM. It matches their ticker. So yeah, so uh, utilize Excalibur and in using it, I actually grew my my experience came through the lease records side and division order side before I actually moved into like land and as a landman. So um, I used Excalibur a little differently than what a lot of landmans typically walk into. So I liked Excalibur then. Uh, we recently did a conversion from Excalibur into um, into W. And just the functionality, it, it, the, the processes and the efficiency of the way things work and the ability to report. And a lot of it also ties to uh, the database architecture and how it's kept and how you can actually extract the data and run reports out of it in the current systems versus the old systems. 
running queries and having to try to remember it's this F1 key that does this. It's having a manual right. to stick exactly. with all of the reports and how to run them. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying W is the best. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what you're paying me for, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, I'm sitting here, Jeremy's sitting there going, yeah, keep talking. Keep, yeah. talking. keep it going. Keep it going. No, that, I mean, it's, it, that's a little bit of just a technology acknowledgement too, right? No, no one here, regardless of your biases, if a system's built in 1989 versus yeah. 2012 or whatever, I mean, you, you should benefit from that technology. The other thing too is, I mean, everyone in this room, you know, except for Tim, Tim's very old. But everybody else here is, you know, we're, we're younger, right? This is sort of the great crew change right now. So do you see a preference for kind of the newer systems with the, the younger industry folks versus some of the legacy stuff for people closer to retirement? Uh, I actually do. And, and part of it comes to the older even it's, you know, the systems also drove your staffing requirements, and if something is hard to get a report out of or, or complicated to do, it requires not only more people, okay, but, except, but you may have to have, I need a landman and I need three techs to do this. Well, if something's easier to get information out of, mm -hmm. I can consolidate and have one landman or one tech and or just one landman who knows how to get around in the system and get what they need. You know, a lot of it, mm -hmm. it just, plus our, you know, our usage of the technology now it's easier and faster for me to get something myself instead of having to have somebody go run a report for me or get that information for me. So the technology changes definitely is changing how you're having to staff it as well. That's good. We give them a rundown of all the systems that you've used because I, I really feel like you've had to work in every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it's, it's, there's, I see, I, there's something in every one of them. I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that feature, but they're, you know, we're going back to Excalibur. I still like that it was a track-based system. It, from a reporting standpoint, from the lease record side, knowing that you have one tract, and if you had six leases, you tied it to that individual tract of land, you didn't have to worry that you were going to have um, over overstate your acreage in that tract because it was one tract. You ran your acreage report off a tract. When your contract, it's different. It, it doesn't have to, you can overstate your acreage. So. It just kind of changes, but what we found is that we can make W function and report in a tract-based manner. So even though it is an agreement based with tracks and subtracks, um, we found a way to make it function to where we can keep our our records and do the tract-based reporting that is important for land people to make decisions. Exactly. Yeah, the track-based versus agreement-based conversation is a big one. We're actually having that internally. And that's like, it's a deal breaker for some companies, right? Like, oh, you know, you're track-based or you're agreement-based. We, we have to be this. Can you can you educate the audience a little bit on what does that mean? Okay, sure. So uh, to go back to Excalibur, which is a track-based. So basically you have one piece of land. Let's say it is section 30 of 5 North, 5 East. If I have five leases in that section... I am tying and setting up one tract of land that covers that entire section, but I'm basically attaching those five leases to that one individual tract. Now, the way a lot of the new current systems are set up are contract-based or agreement-based, where you have and you set up the agreement is the high level, and each agreement has its own tracks and subtracts. So if you set up want five leases, in that, setting up in that same section, even if they cover the exact same legal description, you're still setting up five tracks 
which is uh, basically the area, the area or the surface of it. So if it's the entire section, it's the entire section. And then you'd also set up subtracts to where uh, you might manage your depths or formations. And so, uh, you know, the way W works is once you set so you set up your agreement, your tract, and then your subtract, you put your ownership at the subtract level, and it automatically rolls up to the tract and the subtract because it's all tied. But again, that kind of goes back to, um, and like you were talking about the, the argument between the two systems, and we see that because in any kind of conversion, that's one of the first questions that I ask is because that changes how you convert it. In Excalibur, if you're converting from a tract base to a, a contract base, I'm having to go, I've got five leases tied to one tract. I now need to replicate that individual tract five times to make sure that they're all attached and set up properly. It is much harder to go from a contract base to a tract base because trying to consolidate tracks is way harder than duplicating. That, that was a, a pretty good quick synopsis. <laughs> yeah, I, I never even knew that complexity being kind of always being on the engineering side. Hey, you know, I just need to poke a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. It's a little more technical than that. So, Brooke, yeah. I want to I want to come back to you. We, we talked with with Lindsay about this in, uh, in an earlier um, episode, but really want to obviously you're a woman in the oil and gas industry and the oil and gas industry historically has not been the most accommodating or the most, uh, well, it's not a place where women naturally went to or were even uh, recruited to. Um, and it, to me, from the outside looking in on, you, I don't know much about, you know, the land operations as we've seen in this episode. It seems like land is a place that naturally pulls in a few more women as a percentage than say certainly drilling or something like that. How's it been as a woman coming up through the ranks uh, as a landman? Uh, so I have been for the majority of my career, very, very blessed, um, to work for some very, uh, opportunistic and very ethical and very fair companies. Um, St. Mary, they catapulted me through the ranks. Um, it was, you get out of this job, what you put into it. And, you know, I, I showed up every day and I busted my ass and, and there was literally never any ceiling there for me. Never felt that ever. Um, and stumbled across an opportunity at XTO and went there and, um, felt the exact same way. I, I never hit a, you know, a snag being a woman. It was, uh, directly related to your output. You know, how many wells are you drilling able to drill? How many balls are you able to juggle? <laughs> yeah, I knew y'all were going to laugh at that, right? Was that, was, was that at S&M? <laughs> I juggled both there, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots of them. So, it, you know, I have seen and felt some pushback, you know, being being a woman in the industry to a certain extent. but And, and I think you definitely feel like you do have to work harder, faster, stronger, um, as a woman, it being a land man. Um, and so we do. And also I think there's a, an innate nature in women that we're, some of us are very detailed, nitpicky oriented. And so, um, that makes us, it makes me strong suited in land administration, OCD details, right? All the stuff Scott just walked you through, most landmen are going to just blaze over and go, I could give a shit less 
just let me drill the well. Well, what Scott was talking about in your land system and your lease records is an imperative and necessary part of what we do. And I just, I have felt like I've been strong suited to do that part as well as the landman side too. Um, and when I got the opportunity with Highmark and now Acacia, uh, yeah, it's, it's based upon, you know, what you bring to the team. Um, 95% of my career, I have felt that. Yeah. That's, you know, when Elizabeth and I were on with these two last week or two weeks ago, they asked us a similar question and that's how we felt too. Like, yes, we are very woman, woman it's a woman owned company, right? right? But the fact that we're female and high, high leadership team of females, um, like we haven't seen a problem in the industry, right? Yeah. Like we don't really look at it that way. Mm-hmm. It's work hard. That, that uh, what you're telling me and what I'm hearing is it's not so much, well, the oil and gas business is a results driven business. And mm-hmm. if you're able to bring results, you're going to achieve. Now, I think that a woman looking at the industry and seeing, you know, 95% of the CEOs are men and the COOs are men and the field engineers are men. Maybe they don't identify with, Hey, that's what I want to go do. But if you're able to achieve results and you want to go there, I mean, look at Vicky at, uh, at Oxy, you can, you can make your way there. You just have to achieve. I don't, yeah. it, do you have, can you comment on that? Do you feel that's right? Or you think there's still some bias to prevent you from moving up? I, I think you summarized it very well, right? The results driven and that you can achieve if you have the right mindset and you're going to get in there and get it done. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure not all people feel that way, but I do. And we work with several CEO women of oil and gas operating companies. Um, so I've seen more of that in the last few years than ever before. Yeah, quite a few. And your people. partner's a female, one of them. Yeah, one of our owners, Melissa Andriani. She's fantastic. She's a female. Oh. She's also a mother of three, um, and so she balances a lot, um, works a lot of late hours. So, yeah, there's there's fair opportunity there for chicks. You just got to multitask a lot. So what is what is the politically correct term for a landman that we're not that we chose not to use here? Oh, it depends on what big company. I think what do they call them? Land, land negotiators. negotiators. Yeah. Uh, and, and my mom started in the business in like 78, back when there really weren't a lot of women in land and moved into lease records and DO and then became a landman. And to the point of somebody once called her a land woman and her response was, I work too effing hard. So yeah, I do the same damn thing they do. Don't call me that. Yeah. Now, well, it's I, just a title. It's, it's, it's not, it's a title. Yeah. And it's a title that's been earned. Yeah, a title that's been earned. Yeah. Well, listen, we're the only people standing between you and your happy hour. So we're going to let you get to that. This was really fun. We appreciate the feedback from all three of you. Lindsay, you're cut off. This is the last time you're coming on this for at least, like, at least like two weeks. At least six months. <laughs> yeah, maybe three months. She's good though. No, seriously, guys. Thank you so much. Great insight. And um, we'll definitely look forward to seeing you in Houston soon. Yeah. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.